Today's scripture reading will be Micah 7, verses 15 through 20. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, that will be page 823. Micah 7, 15 through 20. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. The nation will see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, you being here proves that you remembered. Uh, glad you set your clock forward. Uh, we'll see the others that come into Bible class thinking they're coming into early worship. Uh, that's always a good look on the face when they drive into the parking lot in a few minutes. Uh, it is always good to be together. This month, we're placing an emphasis on our Bible classes. And one of the things that we want to say to guests, to anyone that's not a part of a Bible class, is that we'd love for you to be a part of a Bible class because it gives you the opportunity to further study the Word of God, but second, to study the Word of God together. And in that, it gives the opportunity to build relationships. In a congregation this size, it's really hard to build close relationships just in and around the worship service. And so it is rare to hear of anyone here that feels really connected to the church family that's not a part of a Bible class. It's just a fact. And so we want to encourage you, if you're a guest, please join us in a Bible class so that we can get to know you better, uh, so that we can really, really share in life together. And that's one of the great things that, that we try to accomplish in addition to the study of God's Word in Bible classes. So this month, we just want to go the extra mile to make sure you know that you're invited. We're looking for you. We would love to have you be a part of the Bible classes. Parents of toddlers, pre-K, first, second, and third graders. Remember in just a little less than a couple of weeks will be our spring egg hunt. Any of you that do not have children that age, but yet you would be willing to help, maybe with registration or to work in and about the activities of that day, setting up, cleaning up, please let Joseph and Jeanette Cartwright know. Uh, you can talk to them in person, of course, but also you can email them at joseph.com. Cartwright at mountjuliet.org. Joseph.cartwright at mountjuliet.org. This coming Sunday afternoon from 4 to 6 here at the building will be another opportunity for you to help. You don't have to sign up for this one. Just come and help sort and stuff the Easter eggs. And so we would love to have you and you would be very uh, needed at that time. If you can come for even just 30 minutes or so, plan on next Sunday afternoon 4 to 6. Should be a lot of fun. Marvel. <clears throat> have you ever thought that you have a twin? Who is it when people say to you, hey, has anybody ever said to you, 
Well, you know, when, when I speak various places, there are three names that come up, and, and one not so much now because my hair is a little shorter, uh, but, but uh, one that regularly comes up is people will say, has anybody ever told you that, that you remind them of Joel Osteen? And, you know, I just want to blink a little more. I don't want to talk like this. But, but uh, I say, yeah, they do say that from time to time. Uh, I don't really know if I take that as a compliment, but yeah, they say that from time to time. And when my hair was longer, I'd regularly get, I'd wear a cap and, and they would say, hey, is he, anybody ever tell you you look like Alan Jackson? I'd say, yeah, he's, he's a lot taller than me, but yeah, get that a lot. Uh, not so much now. But then the one that has never let up, even last, I was in a seminar last weekend and a lady probably in her 60s, she just kept over and over calling me, Jeff, hey, Jeff. Uh, she said, she said has, has anybody, anybody? I said, oh yeah, yeah, regularly. And you know, so, so thinking about old Jeff there, you know, you might be a redneck, you might be a redneck if your last words before losing consciousness is, hey y'all, watch this. Now, we'll, we'll see a little redneck clip from YouTube, except I'm just going to talk through a few frames here, and it doesn't have a spectacular ending. Don't get your hopes up. But in this, I recognize that there is a new way, a modern identity of redneck also. Uh, and, and I can talk about this because I'm very, very accustomed to this culture. Uh, and, and so the, the guy starts out in stuck in the middle of a creek, and, and you hear him, you hear him saying, now what? And, and then his buddy jumps in and, and he says, yeah, yeah, pull me back a little bit. And his buddy says, well, well we're going to have to get your back tires out of that hole. And he says, yeah, yeah, back it up, back it up. And so they, they work and get the front end pointed another direction. You hear one of them say, yeah, give it a shot. And so they do. And, and it's looking good at the moment until... He hits the other side, and as his front wheels hits it, his back wheels keep climbing, and, uh, and he ends up rising too much. And any of you have ever been on a motorcycle or a horse or anything, there's that moment where you say, where it just kind of slows down right at the very peak. And, and you say to yourself, this is not going to end well. And uh, I'm, I'm missing part of a tooth uh, because of a, a horse falling. And, and, uh, and I remember when we were rearing up, I remember that moment of right when it got in slow motion of that breaking point thinking, hmm, we're going back. She's going to land on me. This is not a good moment. Well, it wasn't a good moment for them. We see that they ended up, he flips into the water and you hear him say, oh no. And then in the most pleasant voice, you hear him say, help me boys. And, uh, and then right when they get the four wheeler on the bank, he says, whoo, that's cold. And then it's like it dawned on him. He immediately turns and faces, I guess, his girlfriend with, with uh, the recording there on the phone. And he immediately says, hey, did you get that? I couldn't help but think that's going to be the new redneck slogan. You know, not just, uh, hey, watch this, but did you get that? And, and I couldn't help but think, why? Why did you want to get it? Like he was proud that it was captured. You, you want to show yourself getting stuck in a branch. You want to show yourself flipping the, the four-wheeler back on top of yourself in the wintertime in the branch. Like, why do you want that? I don't know exactly why he wanted it, but I can tell you this. Throughout the ages of time, men and women, boys and girls have always marveled at something when they thought it was unique, when they thought that it hadn't happened before, when they thought that they might not ever see this again. 
That's the idea of marvel. It's something that is distinguished. It's something of, whoa, watch this. You're never going to see this again. And, and I tell you, I hesitated to give this introduction because I do not mean to be demeaning or disrespectful to God in any way. So in your mind, just cut apart Jeff Foxworthy. And just for a moment, I want you to imagine this. What if it wasn't a redneck? What if it was the almighty God in heaven that said, did you see that? Hey, do you remember when? When would God say that? What would God talk about if God was going to marvel at something that he did? In this powerful little book of Micah, we have had capably read for us the very ending of the book. And I want you to go back and I want you to see the seventh chapter in verse 15 again. And I want you to notice in your Bible, not on the screen, uh, I must have saved the, the wrong edition because uh, I meant to go back and put quotes uh, and, I, and I did, I must have saved the wrong one. But in your Bible, you're gonna see that seven and 15 has quotes around it because this is where God speaks up and God says, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. In other words, he's closing this book by saying, let me tell you, there is more to come and God calls it marvelous things to come. But he links that with something of the past that happened several hundred years prior. He links it with the past to say, you know, marvelous things like that marvelous time that I delivered, that's the idea of salvation. I delivered Israel from the enemy, the Egyptian captivity. Now, is he referring to it because it was marvelous that he saved them? Surely he is. Is he calling it marvelous because of all the works, miracles, wonders, that surrounded it. Surely he is. As a matter of fact, I said to you uh, back in January about this artwork of our, our theme for the year of Marvel. You know, back in November and December, when I began to study this, this word a lot deeper in scripture, reading passage after passage after passage, where people, but especially God, would describe things that were marvelous, I was surprised to find out that what God referred to all throughout the Old Testament and even a few times in the New Testament about marvels that he had done, how many times he went back to delivering Israel out of bondage and would talk about the parting of the Red Sea. He would talk about the guiding them with the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud. He would talk about the, and make reference to the plagues, the 10 plagues. Think about all of these marvels. And again, I don't know what you think when you hear me saying this, but I'm trying to emphasize to you, this is what God referred back to many, many times. Hundreds of years later, he would say, look back. And I believe it is because of the emphasis of he was doing things that were distinguished. He was doing things that nobody else could do. 
And in those things, he was delivering the people that loved him and that he loved into freedom. I want you to see a glimpse of this. We, we could turn many places. This is talked about again in Psalm 78. And I believe that the quote in part comes from Psalm 78. But I'd like for you to notice in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. In Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, we could read many verses here that really is in the context of him describing uh, of this being described. But I want us to just jump kind of in the middle in 32. And, and notice here how the Lord is marveling in what he did in freeing Israel from Egypt. And in verse 32, he said, for ask now concerning the days that are past. Hear what he's saying? Ask about it. I want, I want you to be talking about this. Which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Dear God, and again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful and bring him down to some common level of, hey, watch this. But read that verse again. God is saying, have you ever heard anything like this? Go back from when I created Adam and Eve. He says, go back to the beginning and look at everything that you've seen done. Tell me if you've ever seen anything like this. And he says, tell me even if you just heard about it. Maybe you weren't there in person. Tell me if you have heard of anything like this. And now God marvels about this. Look what he describes. This is what he is saying that he marvels about. Verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation, Israel, out of Egypt? By trials, maybe that's the plagues, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did. Notice that. The Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. God, what are you saying? God's saying, I recognize something that's marvelous when I see it. What I want to know is, do you? And do you remember it? God, why is it so important that we remember these marvelous things? Remember, this was our emphasis strong in January, a little bit in February, but I don't want you to forget it in March. It's not so you and I can simply say, that's the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. It's not so we can simply say, I can't imagine the, the, the sea just parting. I can't imagine frogs filling an entire nation. It's not so we can marvel only and simply at what is taking place. Notice this next verse. This is what he wants us to do. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other beside him. What did Micah record? Look back, if you will, again to Micah 7 and verse 15. And I just want to remind you of this. Micah recorded God saying, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. Yes, God says those were marvels. 
but I still have some marvelous things in store that I want to show you in the future. So who is this Micah, this prophet Micah? He was a man that was sent to the southern kingdom, Judah, to prophesy, to tell God's message. And it's a very, very difficult message that he had to give, not because it wasn't moving towards something beautiful, but because the people were so sinful and they were set in their sin, they didn't want to hear it. Imagine walking up to someone who enjoys their sin and imagine telling them, God wants you to repent. God wants you to turn away from that sin. And so we don't know exactly how long. We know that, that his, his ministry of being a prophet covered at least uh, three kings. The most famous probably is Hezekiah. And so that could have been anywhere from about 20 years minimum to about 50 years maximum. So any of you that have been in your career 20 years, you imagine having a job where your job is to tell people constantly things they don't want to hear. If you've been in your career 50 years, you imagine being in your career for 50 years where your task is to give people a message they do not want to hear. Listen, you and I need to admire the faithfulness of these prophets. The task God called them to was not easy. Let's think just briefly about the book. The book is a little bit complicated to understand on one side, and I don't mean that it's really difficult, but what makes it a little bit more complicated to understand is that it alternates back and forth so quickly between God's judgment of doom and despair. Hey, Judah, if you continue to live this sinful life, look what the judgment of God's going to be. But then just literally, not, not even the next verse, sometimes the very next line will be a line of hope and a line of, of glory and prosperity. And so what Micah is doing is he is showing their present condition and the judgment of God about it. But he's also filling this little book of doom and despair with gloom or with glory and hope because God hasn't given up on them. Now, as we think about applying this to our life, I don't know where you live right now. You may feel like your life is in doom and gloom. You may feel like that you've brought sin into your life that you thought you'd never bring into your life. You may feel like, I, I just can't get out of this. And I want to tell you, writings like this show us something beautiful and powerful about the nature and the character of God. Just as certain as your sin is serious, your sin is destructive, God is merciful. God is forgiving. And that is the beautiful and strong, hopeful and straightforward message of this book. Don't lose the introduction. That ends with God saying, that was marvelous, but let me tell you about something marvelous, really marvelous, that is going to come in the future. And so the people in this book, if you have your Bible open, I hope you do, we can only take the time to uh, just scan a few things here. But look at God's judgment. This is an example of, of why uh, Malachi had such a, a tough 
struggle. Look in the first chapter and you see there in verse six and seven, he describes their idolatry. In verse seven, he says, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and all her pay as a harlot. In other words, they were committing spiritual adultery against God because here God's people had brought paganism and idolatry into their life and into their heart. Notice the covetousness in the second chapter in verse two and three. Notice verse two, they coveted fields and their covetousness was so strong, they, they took the fields by violence. They also oppressed uh, the poor and took, or, or the weaker, I should say, and took their houses and seized them. So someone says, well, Whoever's in charge, the leaders, they'll take care of this. No, that was a problem too. Go over to the third chapter. In the third chapter, you notice in verse nine, in the middle of that verse, the rulers of the house of Israel, they abhor justice and they pervert all equity. Look at verse 11. Her heads judge for a bribe. Now what kind of civil system is that? And notice the religion. Her priest teach for pay and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is it not, is not the Lord among us? See what's saying? What he's saying is, look at all these people being taken advantage of. Look at all these people that have moved idolatry in. And in essence, what you could say is, leadership can take care of that. No, because the people that are being taken care of, the judges can be bribed. Hey, hey judge, I'm, I'm going to steal this widow's house from her, and, and it's worth about $150,000. I tell you what, I'll slip you $20,000 if when it comes before you, let me keep it. Sure, sure, good deal, good deal. Hey, priest, there's nothing really wrong with us moving uh, another Canaanite idol into our village, into our house. There's nothing wrong with that. You keep paying my salary and you do whatever you want. You are doing well. As a matter of fact, notice what they said at the end of verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord among us? Now you know this, but let's just say it. Just because you say, we are among the Lord doesn't mean that you and I are living in fellowship with the Lord. Just because we say, we love the Lord in this congregation, just because we say it doesn't mean we love the Lord. And here, he's saying, look at your leaders. Your civil leaders, judicial leaders are so corrupt. Your religious leaders are so corrupt. And yet they tell the people, we're leaning on God. Look, the Lord is among us. And imagine when Micah comes in, when that's what all the other leaders are saying. And imagine when Micah's message is so different. Imagine how difficult it was for Micah. And so the idea is that there in amongst their judgment, there also can be hope. One great place to see this quickly is look in the fourth chapter. Verse 10 is, is a long verse, but look down in the middle of verse 10 and he says, you shall dwell in the field and to Babylon you shall go. What's he talking about there? 
You probably know what he's talking about. It's that remnant. In other words, the enemy's going to come in of Babylon and, and they are going to destroy most of the people. Most of Israel is going to die. And then that small group, you're not going to go out of existence, Israel. That small remnant of you, you're going to be taken back to Babylon. Whoa, that's pretty serious judgment. And then notice the hope. Notice the very next line of the very same verse. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. <laughs> Wait a minute. All that in the same verse? Your nation is going to be almost annihilated? Some of you to preserve the nation are going to be taken back as a small remnant? But don't give up. God's not going to give up on you. He's going to deliver you and he's going to redeem you. See the language here? That language is important because it's that same marvelous language that told the story of his marvelous work of taking Israel and delivering them from their captivity. And so now he's saying that's going to happen again in Babylon and God's going to deliver you from that. And it's going to happen again, ultimately through the Messiah. And so what is What's the answer? Well, since God has done his part, the answer that they need to give is we repent. Here's one passage where Micah was making the plea. And by the way, this month, our theme this month, going along with Bible class emphasis, this month the theme is marvelous teachings. I always hesitate to compare to rank scripture but that hasn't stopped me from doing it before, I guess. When you read in commentaries, many commentaries will say that these verses that we're about to read are considered some of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament. If you were going to make a list of some of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament, these verses that we're about to read would have to be on that list. And what he is doing is he's showing a people who are downtrodden in sin and don't even realize how low they are, the glorious hope that could come if they will turn to God. And here is how he says this. Look with me, if you will. We're in the sixth chapter. We're going to read verse 7 and 8. Verse 6 is, is leading up to the same thing that is in verse 7. Notice how in six the idea is, and I know we don't have this on the screen, but why shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a, a year old? And then, and then he takes it uh, up a huge level. He exaggerates in seven. And he says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I get my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, the idea is, wow, we're beginning to realize how sinful we are. And, and so what I want to do is, is I want to do something huge and spectacular for God. And so I know that God wants to bring offerings and sacrifices to him. And, and you know, I could bring a little oil offering. Hey, what about in some oil offering? What if I brought a river of oil? No, no, no. What if I brought thousands of rivers of oil? A ram. We need to offer a ram for our sins. No, no. What if we brought a thousand rams? He says, you're missing it. 
In these two verses, what he's going to show is that we should never divorce worship and morality. Our love and our adoration to God on Sunday ought to match our life on Saturday night. Our daily Bible study and prayers that we devote to God each day ought to match our behavior in our business dealings on Monday and the way we live at school on Tuesday. And so here he's saying, let's, let's, just, let's just do something great to show adoration to God. He says, okay, you want to do something great to show adoration? Here's what it is, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Judah, you know you guys that have been stealing widows' houses and getting away with it? God doesn't want all your rams. Oh, sure, he wants you to worship him. But he wants you to get up on Monday and do justly. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with the rich or the poor. If you're a child of God, you ought to be the most just person that person's ever dealt with. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with the old or the young, with the wise or the ignorant? Does your justice have anything to do with how much the other person knows? Not if we're doing what God has shown us. He has shown us to do justice. But notice this second one. Love, mercy. Forgiveness is tough. When somebody hurts us and we offer loving kindness in return, we offer forgiveness as they seek it. There's nothing easy about that, but then to make it more challenging, he says, oh, I want you to love mercy. Instead of immediately sticking a, a firm heel in the ground and saying, I'm not budging from this, I have rights. Instead saying, because what my Lord delights in, that was in our scripture reading early, he delights in mercy. He's slow to anger and he is rich in mercy. And any of us that are saved, part of that marvelous thing that he's talking about that's coming through Jesus Christ, we're saved only because he delights in mercy. We too ought to love mercy. But then he mentions that third thing, to walk humbly with our God. Walk is that daily life. Will you get up in the morning and each morning and genuinely, sincerely say to God, I'm yours today, God. However you want to use me, whatever opportunities you want to give me, I seek today in everything in my life to walk in your will. I humbly walk with you. What a beautiful, beautiful life that would be. 
And so that brings us around to the last paragraph. We've already read it, and so I'm just going to mention it as we read a few things. And so he has said in verse 15, we began with that of the seventh chapter. He's referred back to the marvelous things that he did. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to do marvelous things like that in the future. And he is ultimately the last verse in this book is whether Micah knew it or not, was ultimately pointing to the Messiah and that marvelous work that would be done by him, uh, by the Messiah. And, and notice in Micah, the seventh chapter and verse 18, how all this points to who God is. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. In this prophecy, you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham. Remember the covenant that was given to Abraham that through his nation, all the families of the earth shall be blessed which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Micah, who do you want us to see God as? Introduce him to us, Micah. He says, you've got to understand that he's a God that will pardon you. I've been telling you how, how sinful you are. But do you recognize he'll let you turn back? He'll forgive you. He'll take your wrongs and he won't just set them aside so they can be reached back. He'll, he'll throw them in the bottom of the sea. He'll keep that promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we look at the cross, we see the most marvelous work that's ever been done in freeing captives and giving them hope from their former plight of destruction. I like the quote of Brian Zand. He wrote a book entitled Unconditional, and he said, if Christianity is about anything, it is about forgiveness. Ultimately, that's what the little book of Micah is about. Ultimately, that's what God means when he says to them, you remember the marvelous things I did with Israel? Letting them have freedom, delivering them, saving them. Let me show you the marvelous things that are going to come. What does God marvel in? God marvels in that scheme of salvation that was to bring His Son, conquer death, and our enemy and give us eternal life with Him. Give us eternal life with Him. Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to turn with, to Him? Are you already walking with Him? Do you really appreciate it? Let's let today's lesson be a reminder. Let's let today's lesson convict us if that's what we need. But let's let today's lesson open our eyes and let's make sure that we marvel at the same things that God marvels at. If you're ready this morning to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins as a believer, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
and you're willing to confess that before men. Maybe you're already a Christian and sin has separated you and you read some of these passages and, and, and Micah, and, and maybe it's not the exact same sin you're wrestling with, but you find yourself there. Remember the hope. Remember the hope. God marvels in the salvation that he offers us. It'd be a shame if we didn't. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.